Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Good morning. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Thank you for being with us today. We know you're all comfortable, but we have this thing around here called Respect the Word. And uh, we'd like you to stand with us. I'm going to start in Matthew. We're, we're starting a series on practicing the way of Jesus, uh, speaking to the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. We're spending the next 12 weeks or so there. Uh, let's begin. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, then we'll drop down to verse 23. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Remember that. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those who had having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Lord, let your word go deep in our souls. Uh, Lord, even as I read this, let this be the year, 2024, that your kingdom is established in our hearts. Let the kingdom not only draw near, but let it be present in this place in 2024. Let us live out your kingdom principles as we follow Jesus. And we'll give you thanks for everything you will do and accomplish in us and through us this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this passage says many things to us today. Jesus has begun his preaching ministry. Uh, It's the message of the good news of the kingdom of God. He's healing people and large crowds are starting to follow Jesus. Some are coming just because they're curious. There's a new guy in town and he's got this really crazy message and they want to hear what this one named Jesus has to say. Others are coming to Jesus because they're sick or they've been wounded or they're hurt or they're broken or they're simply in need of hope. And then there are those who come to Jesus who are truly interested in his message. They want to hear what Jesus has to say because they're looking for genuine life change. They're tired of the way that things are. and They want something to change in their, their lives. This, those same needs, as we all can agree, probably pretty quickly exist today. There are people who are curious about a new way of life. There are people who are sick, who are broken, who are hurting, who have been wounded. Uh, and our, uh, others come simply because they're looking for something different, a better way of life. And consequently, it's because of that that we are adding that third Sunday morning service. It got real quiet. <laughs> Yay, two people. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how do you think I feel? So, uh, but that's why we're adding it. And it's to make room for our community. Our old mission statement used to say to reach the greater Puyallup Valley for the Lord Jesus Christ, heal hurts, build dreams, and bring salvation to everyone. And that mission, though we change it, the statement, it's still the same. To reach the greater Puyallup Valley. Now I'm going to be honest with you, most people out in our community aren't going to come at 8 o'clock. They're just not. In fact, only those who are fully devoted to Jesus and who love Jesus more than anybody else will show up at 8 o'clock. And so I'm not putting any pressure on you, but if you want to demonstrate your discipleship, you're going to show at eight. 
And our prayer would be for many of you who come at the 930, or excuse me, the 9, the next service will be 930, and I'm not sure that time between is going to work. We're going to try it and see what happens. I'm going to ask you to come at 8 o'clock. I'm going to ask rooted groups, brave groups, life groups, women's groups, men group, men's groups, family groups, to, to possibly give 8 o'clock a shot and to come. You know, my faith said, well, if we can get 200, I'm expecting five or 600 at the 8 o'clock. I'm believing that you love this community as much as I do and you want to make room for unchurched, unsaved people to come and find their Savior, Jesus. Amen? So let's work together on this in 2024. We're excited. Uh, we, we're having a children's ministry date. We're not giving up on any ministry. If you'd like to stop out at the Hub after and participate and be someone who can serve at the 8 o'clock in our children's ministry, stop out and see Lindsay right after, after the service. And so here we are. We're going to begin with recommending a book to you. We want to make sure you have plenty of stuff to read besides God's word. I want to talk to you for just a moment about this book called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Divine Conspiracy. Write that in your formation journals. Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. It's, it, he, uh, he passed away in 2013. He was the head of the philosophy department at University of Southern California, USC. He was also a devout Christian. He wrote The Spirit of the Divis Disciplines and a hundred other books. I mean, the man is an amazing, was an amazing theologian, one of our preeminent theologians of this century. Just an amazing guy. And if you'll read this book, now it's not one you can just read quick. You're gonna have to read paragraphs, certain ones over and over and over until you get it. It's not an easy read, but it's a good read. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard shares, he starts out sharing the story of a pilot happens to be a woman pilot who is flying and, and she's doing some high speed maneuvers and she's zooming around and all those things and she pulls like she's going into ascent but in point of fact she's not ascending, she's descending and crashes into the ground. She was unaware she was flying upside down. Unaware she was flying upside down. Aren't there days you feel the same way? Aren't there days that you feel like your life and the life around you are flying upside down? According to, to Willard, people are not sure if there's a difference anymore about flying upright or down. They just can't tell. I was talking to a friend at lunch on Thursday or Friday, and we get together about every six weeks, and it's just a lot of fun. And uh, we were talking this last time, he's about my age, maybe a little younger, talking about when life was a slower pace. Remember those days? Remember when you watched Leave it to Beaver and you actually thought all of life was that way? Remember when you watched F Troop and it was so mindless and, and yet you just watched it and then you turned it off and you went about your day and, and stuff like that? It felt like, though they might not have been, they were simpler times. It was a slower pace in yesterday when things made more sense and decisions seemed less complicated. Not as difficult as they are today. Up was up and down was down and today not so much. As Pastor Daniel said last week, there's a lot more noise in our lives today than there was even 10, 15 years ago. A lot of noise. A lot of people speaking. And it's almost deafening sometimes. And that's why I think we add a service because I think people are hungry to stifle the noise and to get a fresh voice. And his name is Jesus. The words and teachings of Jesus, in my opinion, have never been more important than in 2024. Obviously, it's the year we're headed into, and so I think the words of Jesus are incredibly important today. Uh, and, and if life and the days in which we live are to make any sense at all, it, it will be because there is a group of people that continue to build their lives on the death, the resurrection, and the teachings 
of Jesus. If we're to make a difference, and, and maybe when we first started out, we were a little more adamant about this, more passionate, but I want to regain that passion. We are here on this planet as the children of God, people who are part of the kingdom, to make a difference. That the call of the church has always been to reach out and be witnesses, be light and salt to who Jesus is. And to, and to take his teachings and to love them so much that we make that difference. That's why we're starting this year talking about the teachings of Jesus. That's why we're talking about what Jesus said, the voice of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Great men, great women throughout history, but some of the men who I, I tend to read in respect. St. Augustine said these words. He saw the power of, of the Sermon on the Mount more than simply a set of moral teachings or instructions, but it was a way to the inner transformation of our hearts down inside. St. Thomas Aquinas said these words. He, he saw the teaching of Jesus as providing moral guidance and habits that brought the Christ followers into a deeper relationship to Jesus. Then our old friend from our last series, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, said these words, and I quote, it is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Thomas Merton said, the Sermon on the Mount is first of all the constitution of the new people of God, but it is also a description of the character of the Christ-like person. John R. Stott, man who passed away uh, 2000, I think, eight or nine, I, I got a chance to go to All Souls in London and watch him preach. And I, I watched him before the sermon just kneel and pray and pray and pray before he got up to speak. And it just, it, it moves me to this day. He said these words. He said, the Sermon on the Mount is probably the best known part of the teaching of Jesus, though it is arguably the least understood. And it certainly is the least obeyed. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the Sermon on the Mount is an open declaration of the life of the kingdom. It tells us what the Christian is meant to be. Then Dallas Willard again said this, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from the identification with Christ. It is rather an expansive description, now catch this, you gotta read it twice. It is rather the, an expansive description of the life we'll be living when we're living this kind of life. But the real question today for you and I who have gathered at nine o'clock for just a few more weeks the most important question will be for you and I, how will we view the Sermon on the Mount? How will we listen to the voice of Jesus? What will we do when we hear the words of Jesus as he speaks to the crowd in the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount, many of us know because we've been raised in church, it is the first book of the four gospels, Matthew, whose other name was Levi, he was a tax collector. It's written in the first century while Israel is under Roman occupation. Jesus had been preaching the gospel. When he began to preach, he began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has been preaching, healing the sick and performing miracles, and people are being drawn to who Jesus is. They're being drawn to this prophet, to this rabbi, and they're starting to, to follow where he goes because he's promising a new way of life, and he's doing the miraculous. The Bible says large crowds from from Galilee and Judea and the Decapolis, that which means the 10 cities, Hellenistic cities in that region, and Judea, and then across the Jordan, people are beginning to follow him. And so we come to this moment where he begins to bring the crowds. They've come together, and he walks up on the hill. Uh, I can see it in my, my mind's eye. I've been there three or four times, five times, actually. 
and uh, he, he, he walks up to the top of this hill and he sits down and the crowds are getting close and his disciples are there. Even as I say that, I, I got to stand there with my grandson, Gray, Grayson, and he, in our group, and he took and I gave him the scriptures and he read the Beatitudes to, to the group and it was a moving time for me anyway. And the disciples are there and now it's time. He's talked the gospel of the kingdom, the, the kingdom of God, but now it's time for the people to understand what it means to live within that kingdom. It's time for Jesus to give the dash of his life from, the, from before when he was born to when he is returning with the cross in the middle, but now he's going to teach people what it truly means to live in the kingdom of God. He will tell us that the kingdom of God changes how we think. It will tell us how we feel, that it should change should tell us how we see the world around us that life is different for us because we've been in the presence of Jesus and we've heard his voice. And when Jesus saw the crowds in 5-1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. I could spend an hour right there. His disciples came to him. Some of us have stood where Jesus delivered that message on Lake Galilee. And he begins to say things in chapter five. I mean, you wanna talk, you wanna talk countercultural, we'll come back to that. But he's going to say over and over, he'll say, You've heard it said, but but I tell you this. Five times he's gonna say, You've heard it presented this way, but here's how it really is. And he's coming and he's changing the whole order of things. He's gonna flip their world upside down. He's gonna say over by his teachings. You've heard it said this way, but here's what I'm telling you and, and this you can take to the bank. This is truth. I think we have to understand what the word countercultural really means today. It means this. Being countercultural involves resisting or challenging societal norms. Whether in terms of lifestyle, values, ethics, or beliefs. It often implies a deliberate choice to live in a way that contradicts, that goes against the prevailing attitudes or practices of the surrounding culture. And I'm here today to tell you when Jesus preached this message, it was countercultural. It would go against everything that these people understood, be they, be they Hellenist or, or Jewish. He's saying something incredibly different. And he began in verse 2, the Bible tells us, and he began to teach them teach them he will he will say things that will turn their understanding upside down about life and the kingdom of God and their place in it here's some of the things that he's countercultural about in a culture that values power wealth and status Jesus is going to preach something so countercultural because he's going to extol qualities like mercy and humility and meekness and a hunger for righteousness in a culture that looks upon the outward actions and determines someone by, by their actions of an individual or group, Jesus will say, wait a minute. He goes counterculture. He says, no, 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 that flows out of what's in their heart. And he will look at the heart of people. In a culture that desires to win, dominate, retaliate, and seek vengeance, Jesus will say, love your enemies, forgive those who hurt you, and turn the other cheek. How's that for countercultural? Instead of outward displays of trying to be right, Jesus will emphasize authenticity and transparency and vulnerability. Instead of, instead of looking out for uh, number one, Jesus will go countercultural and say, no, 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 your greatest concern must be for others. If you wanna be first, you gotta be last. And instead of trusting in one's own abilities, put your trust in the provision of God. That's countercultural.
in a culture that spends its days judging other people. He says, be careful about that, for with the zeal that you judge other people, you will be judged by the same measure. And in a culture that values anything and everything, he will say, wait a minute, there is a narrow, narrow path that leads to real living and life, to the abundant life. These are the teachings of Jesus found in the Sermon on the Mount, and they are countercultural. And he will be so countercultural that he will scare the Roman leaders and he will scare the Jewish religious leaders as well. This was countercultural then, and how many know the teachings of Jesus are just as countercultural today? Come on, a few more need to nod your heads. It's just as countercultural today. This is radical Christianity. This is not for cultural Christians. This is the real deal of those who would follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom of God. And if we live in it and by it, he will change us and he will change our world. That's the power of God. The Sermon on the Mount is nothing less than a manifesto or a constitution or a bill of rights or, or something that declares what the kingdom of God is all about. The, kingdom, or the Sermon on the Mount will speak to many things. I mean, it'll cover 12, 14 different, different topics. You'll begin next week by Pastor Taylor speaking on the Beatitudes. He will talk about salt and light. Throw that up there for him, if you will. He will talk about fulfillment of the law. He will talk about anger and reconciliation, adultery and lust, divorce and oaths, retaliation and loving your enemies. He'll talk about prayer, and then he will specifically talk about the Lord's Prayer, he will talk about fasting and treasures in heaven, anxiety and trusting in God, judging others, asking, seeking, knocking, narrow in the wide gates, true and false prophets, and the wise and foolish builders. These are the teachings of Jesus, and they are revolutionary, radical, and counter to our culture. Now, here's the thing I'd love to tell you. I'd love to tell you that it's easy to live by the Sermon on the Mount, but frankly, most of us know it isn't. I'd love to tell you that it's easy, that you just push this button and it's all good to hear the voice of Jesus, but I can't. Because of the things we've talked about before, it's just hard to hear his voice. Right? It's just hard to hear his voice. And there are roadblocks, there are hindrances that make it difficult to understand and to hear the voice of Jesus. Sometimes, as a, as a covering, I'll just say this, human sinfulness it's not talked about, but we probably ought to spend some time on what it means to walk in, in the sinfulness, walking in a different direction than where God would have us go. Then there are cultural and societal values that frankly prioritize things that are far more appealing. I mean, let's be honest about it. Success, wealth, power, these things, we honor them and we prioritize them. And then to hear Jesus say, look out for the needs of others, doesn't really seem to fit. Then you have cultural relativism and subjective morality that make the absolute counter-cultural teaching of Jesus difficult to accept. Frankly, sometimes even we as Christians find it hard to trust in God because we found it easier to trust in ourselves, to trust in our own senses, that which we see and that which we hear. It's difficult. Sometimes it's, frankly, unforgiveness and bitterness that we've harbored in our hearts that we won't let go of, no matter how many sermons, no matter how many times we hear the voice of God saying, you'll live life abundantly if you let the unforgiveness go, but we can't. 
Sometimes it's that cultural Christianity when there is no deep commitment to Jesus. It's that mile-wide, inch-deep kind of Christianity where it's impossible to commit to his teachings. Sometimes it's legalism and externalism where if I look good on the outside, then everything must be fine, and yet it's not. When I was growing up, if you wore a white shirt, a tie, and you had your ears trimmed, your hair trimmed over your ears, you were in. And yet I was dying on the inside. Sometimes we just frankly misunderstand grace. We, we equate grace with complacency. Grace isn't complacency. complacency. Bonhoeffer called that cheap grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God and my response must be to live a life according to the teachings of Jesus. Not because I have to, but because I've been called by grace. And frankly, it's just that good old individualism and, and self-centeredness. The world in which we live prizes rugged individualism and self-centeredness and it makes it difficult to prioritize others and live out kingdom principles. These are the roadblocks. So what's the key? If we want to live within the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, hear the voice of Jesus and live out his principles, then, then how do we do it? How is 2024 different than all the other years? Mary and I were driving home from somewhere on Thursday or Friday and I was thinking about 2024 and I turned to her and I said this you know in, in March we'll, be, we'll have been married 44 years 40 yeah thank you yeah you better clap yeah last night you didn't I watched you know because we've been married and we're in relationship there are things I do because I love her Right? There are things that I do because we've been in relationship. I know her. She knows me. We are husband and wife. We are one flesh. There are things that I don't do. Not because I'm prideful or, 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 or not susceptible. But there are things I won't do because I know in my heart it would hurt her. Right? My relationship to her dictates in, to some measure who I am. It dictates how I live my life. It dictates my choices, my decisions because of my relationship to her, because I love her, because she loves me. She, and it's easier for me to say it up here than I get close to her. She's the love of my life. I love her dearly. Say, well, you should say that up close. No, most of you guys would rather say it this far too. I, 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 know, what I'm talk, I know what I'm talking about. Well, how many know where I'm going with this? We live out the principles of the kingdom for the same reason. Because he first loved me. John 14, verse 15, 21, and 23. I put them all together, munched them together. If you love me, keep my commandments. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It's this, it's this relationship that leads us to the voice of Jesus. It's this relationship and it's hearing his voice that calls us to live in 2024 a certain way because we've heard the voice of God. We follow the teachings because he is, as we talked about just a few weeks ago, he's that baby in the manger who came to seek and to save me. 
I respond to the teachings of Jesus because I've read Isaiah 53. He is the one who has pierced, he was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquity. His punishment brought me peace. I'm forgiven, saved, redeemed, made whole. Child of God, I am loved. What can my response be but to love him back? That's why we do what we do. That's why we live by these words, because we are loved by God and he demonstrated that while I was still a sinner, the Bible says Christ died for me. The only response to someone who loves, is loved by God is to love him back and to take his teaching seriously because his, of his love, his words are not burdensome. They are life-giving. And he is promising and he is saying that if we will but follow and obey him, there is a life that this world may not understand, but it leads to eternity. And because we have that kingdom down the road, the Bible also tells us we're part of the kingdom now. Because we can experience blessings then, we can also experience his blessing today. Dallas Willard said this, what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount is a concise statement of Jesus' teachings on how to actually live in the reality of God's present kingdom available to us from the very space surrounding our bodies. It concludes with the statement that all who hear and do what he there says will have a life that can stand up to everything. That is a life of eternity because it is already, we are already in the eternal. Here's the thing. As we move forward in our study, there's only one way to truly embrace the teachings of Jesus. Here it is, living out the ethics and the values and the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount requires intentional and transformative practices that reflect the values and principles Jesus outlined in his teachings. I'd like to give you a couple practices today, and as Pastor Daniel gave you some last week, and I'm giving you some today, it's on you, Pastor Taylor, for next week. Some practices that we need to live by. The first one, as, as you might, it might of course, you'll say, is prayer. If Mary and I don't, don't communicate, how many know there's going to be problems in our relationship? If we don't talk, if we don't communicate with one another, prayer, develop a consistent and heartfelt prayer life. The Lord's prayer given by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount serves as a model for our prayer. It can be used as a guide, reflecting on its meaning and incorporating its themes into our daily prayer life. Prayer fosters a deep connection with God and it aligns our hearts with not our will but his. And then secondly, scripture. Scripture meditation. Regularly, and I'm gonna come back to this, but regularly meditate on the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and other teachings in, his, in the Gospels. Let's consider memorizing some key verses to internalize, and that's the key to scripture. It's to internalize it. Allow the wisdom of Jesus to shape our thoughts, our attitudes, our responses to various situations that we will encounter in 2024. I'll say it this way. We, we need to RMPC. RMPC. I wish it were, I wish I could get a jingle to it. R-E-M-P, it now won't work. RMPC. Now, many of you, you, you got the formation journals. Okay, here's a clue. Start bringing them, okay? Uh, we, I think we've run out of them, so do, do what we, many of us did, get your own. Grab a journal or you can pr print them off online. But right in there, you'll notice, and it doesn't say it this way, but there are, there are, four, there are four words. Uh, read, 
meditate, uh, pray, and then contemplate. If you have your journal with you, you know it up and you see it right there. RMPC. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to practice it this week. I mean, you can do your journal stuff, but for most of you, it's going to be a, you know, I, I journal and then I don't. I journal, then I don't. How many know what I'm talking about? It's good that we journal. It's good that we write down. If I come up with another letter, we're going to add a letter. J, but that doesn't fit. Uh, read it. Here's what I want you to do. Pastor Taylor's talking on the Beatitudes next week. So three times. I'm not going to ask you to do it every day because you're not going to do it. But three times. Just read verses, uh, what is it, three through eight or, or, or it's more than 13. Ten? Three through ten. Three times this week. Read it. Read it. And then think about it. Read it. Then meditate on it. And then thirdly, pray and say, God, what do you have for me in these verses? Enlighten me. And it may be something that aligns with what Pastor Taylor was saying. It may be something totally different. But read it. Meditate on it. Then hear from the Lord. And then be quiet and let God speak to you. How many know God wants to speak to us? So be quiet. And then the best thing would be to get out your formation journals or your journal and write it down. Write it down. And do that. Now here's what I want you to do. One of the three days, are you ready for this? this we did this in seminary and it was a great thing. We want you to do, what, I'm, what we ask you to do is one time, maybe on Saturday morning, read, meditate, pray, contemplate, then do it again. In the same time frame. Read it again. Meditate on it, pray, contemplate, and then do it one more time. One more time. It won't hurt. It's painless. It's painless. Read it, meditate on it, pray again, and contemplate. And it will surprise you what you're going to get out of those verses in the Beatitudes, and you'll be ready. When Pastor Taylor comes, he'll be putting the icing on the cake, because you will have already met God in the Beatitudes. And we'll begin to integrate it into our lives. RMPC. Someone put, put together a sign for me. RMPC. We're getting close. Hang with me just a few moments more. Now we'll drop down to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus, his voice said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine. Deep breath. I get real excited. I'm going to slow down. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet, that's the word right there, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. It was built upon Jesus. When we hear the words of Jesus and put them into practice, we are wise, we are discerning. When the storms come, the Bible says, we won't fall, we will stand because our lives are built on a relationship to Jesus Christ. You know, this last uh, week, about every couple of weeks, I and a friend from Missouri, Branson, Missouri, we talk. And uh, we talk about the weather, the crowds in Branson, and how crazy life is and all that. Talk about his job and all that. But this time, he surprised me. I hope he's not watching. He surprised me because out of the blue, he, 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 he said, hey, I, I've been listening to this pastor back east, uh, and he tells this story. Uh, 
he, he tells the story of when he was up in, in Alaska. He said, I want you to go on YouTube and listen to this story. And frankly, I, I never do that. I just, that's not me. But I did this time and I listened to this, this pastor and he kind of reminds me of my dad. So it was kind of cool. And I'm listening to him talk. And he says, I was up in Alaska with a friend. He's also a lawyer. He does things for churches. And I was up there, and we, we were headed to Anchorage to catch the flight home from another place. And so I had my ticket, and we were going to fly. And uh, this pastor, another, one of the pastors that obviously he'd been meeting with or something, said, hey, let me save you some money. I've got my small plane right over here, one of those uh, propeller planes, uh, single, single prop, whatever it is. Some of you are dying to tell me what it is. Don't worry about it. It's okay. It's not germane to the story. Well, it kind of is. So he said, no, I think we'll just take our tickets and, and, and fly the big plane. He said, no, no, save your money. I want to do this for you. So they said, okay, we'll go, we'll go with you. So they get in, they start taxing and his name's David. David said, well, we, he, I turned to him and said, should we pray? And he said, well, we normally don't, but yeah, that'd be good. So he said, I gave the longest prayer I'd ever prayed about getting there safely. So they take off and they're flying in this single prop job and they're flying out over, headed to Anchorage. And the pilot, this pastor, passes out. I've been in a little plane one time and I swore I'd never do it again. Can't, I can't even imagine being in a plane, a little plane, where the, where the pilot passes out. The guy in the back said, we're going to die, aren't we? He says, well, it looks like it, yes. <laughs> and so he said, get on, let, let's call, let's see if we can call someone. So they, they didn't know the, all the things, but they got on the radio and one, a plane that was flying near them, a freighter headed to China, said, said something that, hey, you guys need, you, don't you go know how to use talk on the frequency? They said, no, we're not pilots. The pilot just passed out. He said, oh, let me help you. He said, I'm going to call Anchorage, and I'm going to get the tower, and they're going to call you, and they're going to try and help you. Okay, so about, he said, five minutes later, the tower calls. And Lord only knows the panic and what's happening. So the, the, the guy in the tower says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and get you home. But you need to listen to everything I say, and you need to obey what I tell you to do. You need to listen to my voice. You need to listen to my voice and obey what I tell you to do. And if you do that, I'll get you home. So they started and the, the man said, here's what we're going to do first. You need to know that four minutes ahead of you, there's a mountain. You need to hear my voice and do what I tell you to do to miss the mountain. Because he's there to tell the story, obviously he did. And the, the man in the tower said, now listen, it's going to be a bumpy ride between here and Anchorage, between there and Anchorage, and there's that storm, and here's what I, I, I want you to do. Don't look out the window at the storm. Just listen to my voice and do what I tell you to do. And they made it home, and he landed, and if you want the name, I'll give you after the service if you want it. But it was an amazing moment. Because 
You know, and I think God gave me that because God knew I was speaking this weekend. Because I'll tell you, we live in a time that I agree with what David said. There's a lot of voices wanting to get up in our heads. A lot of voices. A lot of people wanting airtime right up here. They want to tell me what to think. They want to tell me what to do. They want me to get angry at this group. They want me to get angry at that group. They want me to be against that group. They want me to tell you how to feel, how to think, how to be. And today I hear the the voice of Jesus saying, if you'll hear my voice, if you'll listen and obey what I tell you to do, I'll get you home. I'll get you home. What I hear Jesus saying to me is, if you'll hear my voice and do what I tell you, I'll give you a life that you can't possibly have any other way. See, what the world promises me is that I'm going to be angry all the time and stressed out. The world promises me that if I listen to enough people, I'm going to be so wound up and tight that God won't be able to use me in any way, shape, or form. 2024, I want it to be my year where I hear the voice of Jesus and I do what he says. Because more than anything else, the Lord's saying to me, Ray, it's time to live out the kingdom in this world. That's my prayer for you, to shut down the voices. Hear his voice, and he'll take you home. Father, thank you for your word, this treatise on how to live life. These these actions that simply are the outworking of a life spent in your presence. I pray the Holy Spirit begins to move through this place and begins to touch our hearts and our lives with the reality of your kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and our role in it as citizens of heaven. We pray for an outpouring this year in 2024 of people who will come and and find you as Lord and Savior. Stir our souls with mission and purpose and calling. Lord, in each family there are those that don't know you and we pray that you will give us a burden to pray, to take your word and meditate on it and then live it out. Holy Spirit, come in like a mighty rushing wind, we pray to this community. We'll give you praise. In Jesus' name, stand. Let's worship the Lord together. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.